1: Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsmen of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsmen. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast.
0: Good dog, get that bird. Get that bird in
1: here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get yeah! yeah. 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 Good boy! Good boy Ranger. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. There is a place where the spirit of the men and the dogs matches and fits right into the Bayou culture. The Zodeco music, the crawfish boils. Hog meat on the grill, and intense competition. We are going to Louisiana to Uncle Earl's on this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast. I am your host, Chris Powell, and I travel all the way to Louisiana to take in the atmosphere of one of the largest assemblies of hog hunters in the world. I call it Daytona Bike Week for Hog Hunters. We are going to Uncle Earl's Hog Dog Trials. And I drove all the way down there to capture this rare interview with the elusive yet intellectual and philosophical Ed Barnes. Joining us for this conversation is the equally elusive, intellectual, and philosophical and master storyteller Raymond Plummer. These are true dogmen. Ed is the owner and publisher of Tuskers Magazine. He's a master bladesmith. His book, In Pursuit of Hog Dogs, is one of my personal favorites and favorites among hog hunters worldwide. I describe Ed like this. If Ernest Hemingway, Blackbeard, and Ben Lilly all got together and fathered a child, it would be Ed Barnes. I knew the moment I met Raymond Plummer that I had struck podcasters gold underneath that straw cowboy hat was a man of 57 that was built like a college wrestler and a handshake like an old-time dairy farmer as soon as he started talking i knew that he was going to be a guy that had a lot of knowledge and wisdom and with 28 generations of catahoulas and his breeding program he has a lot to offer for all of us this conversation is lively it is informative and the stories may Affect your sensitivities. Live from Uncle Earl's. These are the dog men.
2: Raymond was talking about feeding some lemon, lemon and white hounds, Walker hounds. <laughs> 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 yeah. Well, I
0: I was talking about growing up and they're actually being dog men, you know, and the and we were talking, you and I, Ed, about how they had there may that the hunting may be on the rise since COVID, but the dog hunter is, is seemingly being banished. You know, even in the upper echelons, what I've noticed in, in my state, the upper echelons of the conservation agency is really anti hunters. Yeah. They're not, they're not yeah. friends of the hunter and, and more than that, they're against the dog man, you know, uh, they, they passed, a, a, say, a regulation in Arkansas uh, that you couldn't bring squirrel dogs onto WMAs in the spring of the year because they were afraid that they were going to fetch a baby deer a fawn to them. Mm-hmm. Well, statewide, I, I blew it out to all of them. I said, you know, I've hunted my whole life, and I, most of your squirrel dog breeds are, are fast dogs and small dogs, not all, but, you know, a, a lot of them. I said, but large breeds or small alike, I've never seen a squirrel dog fetch a a fawn. No. You know, just never have. And so they banned them in the name of really not the fact that they were afraid that they were going to fetch a a baby deer. And we've got too many deer anyway. I just
1: had this conversation the other day with somebody. What that comes from is a memorandum of understanding with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. If they're going to get federal dollars, then they've got to shut that property down during certain times of the year because there's other lobbying groups that are lobbying for ground nesting birds and and all this other stuff so talking about those lobbying groups like delta waterfowl and ducks unlimited doing huge i mean they're giants they're giants in the industry and so they get they got the money and they got the ear and they got the influence so that's that's a lot of the reason why they shut those wma's down in the spring i
2: mean the it's thing is like so i mean when you hear it all the time with deer i mean as dog hunters i mean me and raymond are hog hunters we do not want our dogs chasing deer when we go hunting not for the benefit of the deer hunter for the yeah, benefit for of our ourselves benefit. Like, uh, sure we right. don't we do not want that it right it
1: impedes on our
2: enjoyment of the hunt
1: right so we're not doing that, you know. We spend thousands of dollars to prevent it, to break them off of it. Yeah, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah, absolutely. You know, That's part of nothing, the training process. Yeah, you know, there's nothing so. worse that day, a day have a day of hunt, hunt and run because you got trashy dogs. Yeah, we're and not I got the trashiest dogs around. Yeah, we're not That's, after that.
2: Yeah, we're not we're not just uh, hillbillys that are turning
1: dogs loose, just hoping they'll chase something. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah. Well, we are at Uncle Earl's, and what's what what town's this in? We're in Winfield, Louisiana.
2: Winfield. This is the 28th uh, year that this has gone on. Uh, it's a huge event. I mean, how many dogs do you think are here, Raymond? Oh, Lord, that'd be a, uh, they're in the
0: hundreds, I'd say, for uh, sure. I,
2: I would guess if I was getting, I would guess that right now there's probably 600 dogs here. Probably, probably it, it's probably a huge event. It's
1: a week long event. I call it I call it Daytona Bike
2: Week for hog hunters. Y- you're pretty close to it. Yeah, yeah It's a week long party. We're celebrating the uh, the future of hog hunting, but we're also celebrating the uh, heritage that we have in hog right. hunting. Because yeah. this is actually uh, Uncle Earl was actually a Louisiana Governor. senator senator, uh, senator right who. Uh, who, who free-ranged hogs and also hog-hunted with dogs, and this is a, is a celebration is, is of his the, birthday.
0: Uh, since you mentioned that, what kind of dogs was it that he hog-hunted with? Well, we're in
2: Louisiana, I would imagine it was Catahoula's <laughs> right <riding. laughs> uh, You wouldn't have any connection to them dogs, would you? <laughs> well,
0: uh, no, I'd say not. No, it'd be too so far back that I wouldn't know. But, yeah. uh, you know, the, for me, uh, you know, I, I've, I've told a lot of people, uh, I'm getting up in years a little bit, but when when I go see Jesus one day, I'll be feeding a cat a dog when I go.
1: You know, <laughs> I mean, it's just that
0: way, and it's it's ingrained in my life, my lifestyle, my kids. They all know. Matter of fact, growing up, they always beg, "Can we have some other kind of dog?" You know, yeah. and uh, no was the answer. But no. I've heard, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that same
1: thing. It's like we got dogs, and the kids go to school, and we got dogs at home. Everybody be talking we just got Dad's hunting dogs. I always had to keep some little ratty dog around for them to run around with. But uh, I got to do some introductions so okay. before we get rolling into this thing too far. So I got the one and only Ed Barnes, Tuskers Magazine. I don't think you need any introduction, Ed. Well, I don't know. Yeah, knife maker. I mean, like a master bladesmith. I don't. I, I won't, yes, you are. I won't claim
2: master bladesmith. Well, Smith. we'll
1: claim it for you. We'll claim it for you, man. Looking at your knives and stuff, have you sold out this week? Or were they all sold before you got here? Uh, Most were sold
2: before I got here. Yeah. 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 I I enjoy making knives. Uh, It it comes a close second to hog hunting with dogs.
1: Yeah. You're just kind of a renaissance man. I am a total renaissance man. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Write books, make knives, hunt hogs. Like simple things in life. Simple things. Simple things done well.
1: There you go. So, <laughs> you're, you're a Renaissance perfectionist. <laughs> yeah. I'm
2: really not a perfectionist, but I like to do things well.
1: Yeah. But you're the type of guy that everything you do, you do well. Just like you're. Have you ever done that? I was looking at the pictures of the house you're building and you did that acid tent on the floor and stuff. Have you ever done that before? No.
2: It's super easy. Anybody wants to do it, they should just do it. It's not hard. I mean, I always say, like, most things in life are really not hard. Especially, I mean, we live in a golden age where you can can do, if you have a desire to do a little bit of research, we we have more information
1: at our at our fingertips
2: than anybody else in history. Yeah. If you can't do something today, it's because you don't want to put in the effort. Right. I mean, the information is
1: all right in front of us. We just have to grab it. Never seen anything like it. Yeah. And then sitting to your to your left and right across from me is Raymond Plummer from Arkansas. Famous Catahoula man. Yes. Well, uh, now
0: we have migrated up to uh, Branson, Missouri. But, but you're from Arkansas, oh, yes, sir. Yes, yep. really. Grew up some in Louisiana. I've got family in Catahoula Parish, Louisiana, and we lived down in Morgan City on the Gulf down there for a while and and uh but most of my race was in Arkansas.
1: So. Yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, and, you know, uh, Catahoula bloodline man died in the war. I'm just, that's just the way it Have is. Have you ever
1: had anything else?
0: You know, I've trained dogs. Uh, Shits in training, I've trained a lot of police dogs, you know, mm-hmm. all your, your breeds that they use for that, whether it's Malinois or, or Dobermans or Shepherds or whatever is the, you know, the new dog that they're trying to make the best, you know, police dog ever. Uh, and so i've and i've trained a lot of different types of hunting dogs everything from labrador retrievers on down so so i'm not mindless about the breeds matter of fact i'm a dog guy you know uh but you know with my my dogs i am you know we live vicariously through our dogs and if our dogs do well we're proud and if they do bad we're ashamed and embarrassed you know because that's a little piece of us as we've trained our dog and turn him loose out there and how he performs is a reflection of us it's a reflection of our character you know and uh and I like to tell people that a lot of you know the dogs that personally that I keep uh, can add subtract multiply divide you know they they're they're cross trained you know if i uh, I do hog hunt a lot and uh and we love that and and have done it for years and years and years but I can also where aside from you and I'm not saying that a plot hound can't do that because they're not
1: do what? Say, so "Bear not," we'll be wrestling.
0: We're well, right, right. pretty fit. Let's wrestle. Pretty fit. Let's wrestle. But you know, I I I I keep a tree and genetic in my dogs. I believe that a dog that can tree is a smarter dog. I just and I believe I could prove that. Uh, you know, but I can work cattle. I can catch wild cows. I can work dairy cows. Not jerk the milk out of them. I can hog hunt with mm-hmm. that same set of dogs. Squirrel hunt. Uh, and I could tell you a story after story of doing those very things, you know. And, and so it was like when my grandfather uh, raised cattle with dogs. He could step to the porch in the days of open range and send old Lep to the bottoms to gather the cattle. Yeah. All right? And he could go in and eat supper. He didn't have to worry in about 30 minutes or so the cattle would be up in the lot. Well, two or three good cowboys, because I know, been there and done that, Without a dog, it it could take two or three days to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, so that a,
1: there there there's a good dog on the grounds worth three in the saddle. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah. You know, you said earlier. You said you were teasing me. You said I owned a plot one time. <laughs> <laughs> I owned a Catahoula
0: one time. Did you? Did, Did? you? But it wasn't a plumber bred dog. No. I bet you
2: do <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean the thing. I mean the thing is, Raymond's a Catahoula guy. Yeah. I'm a crossbred guy. If It it won't happen, but if tomorrow Raymond decided he wanted to be a walker dog guy. He'd be successful. He'd be a successful walker dog guy. Yeah. Uh, We have our favorites, but, uh, I mean, when a a guy knows dogs, he can switch from one to the next. And, I mean, dogs Mm -hmm. in general are the same.
0: Well, Well, and I think it too, in that, it is the ability, the innate ability of the man to be able to look at a dog and tell what he can get out of that dog, what he can expect out of that dog, and if he can't do that, he better change games. Yeah, yeah, you know,
2: I totally you know. agree with you. Like, you know, I always say that dog men are born mm. like you have to be born with a natural ability to, to see a dog and see his potential. That does not mean every dog you get is going to be the greatest, but you can see the greatest potential out of each dog you come in, you know, in contact with. A
0: dog, a lot of times is they they learn off of repetitive response, okay? A lot of people think that a dog don't like the UPS guy because he's wearing a uniform. Has zero to do with it, okay? What it has to do with is the nature of the dog. When the UPS guy's in a hurry and he comes flying up to your house, screeching tires and stops and jumps out quickly and runs to your door, and your dog, nature in him, barks. And when he barks, the guy quickly turns around, drops the package, quickly turns around, runs back to his vehicle and gone. Well, the next day, the, the the guy does it again, and he does it again, until finally the dog's waiting on him, you know, and he knows. And they think, well, he just don't like him because well, that's not it at all. You've trained him to do that. You know, he does well, hey, the mailman that way, does the UPS man that way, you know. And let's so. talk about, like, uh, earlier
2: today you were telling me about, in hog dogs, lots of times we deal with dogs that are on the skittish side. Yeah. And earlier we were talking, you were talking about, going up to a dog on the chain who's on the skittish side mm-hmm. and how to
0: approach that dog and how that's going to affect that dog. Sure. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? Well, you know, uh, there are different natures and, and I'm going to look at the Cattahoole breed because, uh, uh, you know, even some of the books that are written talk about a Cattahoole dog being mm-hmm. sometimes aloof and shy toward people. Now, they can be... Uh, ours,
1: ours was a little bit. Yeah. They, yeah. Can,
0: they can be overt toward people or they can be a little shy or just not noticeable one way or the other. But if a dog, if you've got a shy dog, most of the time he's been trained to be shy, okay? Now, there is, you know, people have different characteristics about them. Dogs do too, okay? Now, he can be a little antsy around people or whatever. But say, for instance, if I've got a dog that is, that is feigning shyness, okay, I will not tolerate it. I will not allow it, Okay. So one thing that I'm going to do, when that dog, if you walk up to a shy dog, oftentimes they'll lay down and roll over and expose their belly. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of submission, okay, uh, of not, not dominance in the, in the alpha order, okay. So I will not pet a dog that lays down and rolls over on his back expecting you to pet him. I'll stand there, and, and he will roll around a lot of times until he figures out, wow, this guy's not petting me. And then he'll look at you like, hey, what's wrong? You know, I'm here. If you stand there long enough, the dog will get on his feet. When the dog gets on his feet, then instead of hand down, which is a, is a sign of aggression, come hand up under the dog's mouth and his, his jaw and rub him a little bit. And after you feel him kind of melt to that, then you can reach around there and pat him a little firm pat on the side. He loves it, and he will come back for it. But if you continue, when that dog... I won't chase a dog. Uh-huh. Matter of fact, the other day, <laughs> this lady was chasing her dog. And I said, quit chasing your dog. And she said, well, I've got to catch him. I said, go the other way. Yeah. And she said, what? I said, start walking the other way. That's right. And the dog turned and followed her. See, And so by then, the dog's coming to you. You're not chasing the dog. So so they do learn off of repetitive response and things that you teach them. And sometimes people teach dogs things they don't know where they're teaching them.
1: You know? yeah. well, like where do you learn all this stuff, Raymond? From doing. Yeah, Absolutely, it's from doing. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like,
2: uh, It's funny. We were talking this morning, and you were talking about that. And I had never really thought of it in those terms. Mm-hmm. But I do the same thing. Like when I get a skittish dog, I'll go in their kennel and sit there for sometimes hours mm-hmm. and i don't push the issue i don't push myself on the dog i wait for the dog to come to me and then i'd never thought about it and i had never done it on purpose but like you were saying when they do come to me i pet them from the underside is mm-hmm. it to come from the top sure. side sure.
1: well it's a that ties into like that's why you get such good responses when you're ha- when you get a dog If you'll sit there and you'll hand feed it and you'll feed it everything that it eats for the first week that you've got it out of your hand, then same thing that Raymond's saying. It's a non-aggressive pose. You're sitting in there on a bucket and you're allowing the dog to come to you and and eat out of your hand. What
0: I want out of an animal, whether it's a horse, mule, dog, uh, is the same thing. I want that animal formed to what I want them to be. And, and I pick an animal that I think I can do that with, that I have the mm-hmm. best chance with. Uh, I adopted some Mustangs from the Bureau of Land Management one time. Yep. And I got a five-year-old stud horse, still had his manhood about him. And I took that horse, named him Nevada, of course, that's where we come from. I taught that horse to sit, lay, and roll over on command, Okay. Used him for everything. If there was everything, anything he didn't want to do, that's what we camped out on. Yeah, you that's know? what <laughs> you do. Yeah, you camp out on it till you get over that, and he understands, you know. You do the same thing with mules? Well, a mule, the difference in a mule and a horse is this, and you've probably heard this before, but say, for instance, you load a horse in your horse trailer and you have a little fender bender, okay? Mm-hmm. You take that horse out of that trailer after being beat, you know, banged around back there, he's not going to want to go back in that trailer just as quickly. Yeah. The difference in a horse and a mule is the mule's going to remember who put him in the trailer
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. so
0: <laughs> you know they're, they're they're a little different animal but yeah but, i mean I, yeah. I do i do yeah. a lot
1: yeah yeah uh, I've, I've camped out in water holes the mule won't cross the creek mm-hmm. wants to jump water mm-hmm. we used to go out and ride and we just let everybody else ride off and they'd say hey you coming i said i'll be there eventually but this mule is going to walk absolutely through this if, water if a
2: mule doesn't want to do something there's a reason why he doesn't want to do it. They're yet. smart, and yes. it involves
0: his personal safety.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: Well, but when you when that mule figures out, and that takes time, guys. Uh, when that mule figures out that his safety is is your in your interest, you you want to yep. take care of him. Then yep. he begins to trust you, and then you'll mm-hmm. get more out of him. Yeah. You know. Uh. You know. So. But hey, I mean,
2: we've kind of skipped over a sure. a huge thing oh, here. Yeah. yeah. And that's children, mm-hmm. and uh all that relates exactly to children.
1: Uh, we can't go down that road. This isn't a parenting podcast. And it's yet. not a parenting
2: podcast, <laughs> but I always
1: say dogs,
2: horses, kids. If you're want if you looking to buy a dog from somebody and his kids are running amok, stay away from them dogs. Gets- <laughs> <laughs> hey, if he can't train his right. kids, he sure. sure as hell ain't training uh, them dogs.
1: i got to tell this story. We were sitting in a parenting class my wife parenting was, class. Yeah, well, we we're... We, we it, won't ask why was, you were there. <laughs> <laughs> you obviously did something wrong. <laughs> I hadn't even started yet, Ed. I got drug to it and I hadn't even started. So the church was having having this parenting class for, for ex- new expecting parents. And we go down there and we're doing this book and, and everybody's sharing their feelings and all this stuff. And I'm just sitting there and I didn't want to be there anyway. And... Um, all these people are talking about, oh, when I have kids, I'm going to do this, and I really feel like it's important to do this. And, and finally, the assistant minister looked at me and goes, Chris, you've been quiet. What do you think? And I said, well, I think training kids is probably about like training dogs. You show them what you want, teach them what you want, reinforce it when they don't do it, praise them when they do good, and everything will be fine. Damn it's not right. that hard. Yeah. yeah. You know,
0: and I, I, I know we're steering away from a dog line here to to children momentarily, but the wife and I. Well, you were a teacher, weren't you? I was. I've been a lot of things, brother. I wore a lot Perfect. of hats, uh, but what what have you done? Well, we've owned some companies. Uh, owned a reclamation company. I've I've built custom homes. Uh, I was a stock and bond broker, traded the long bond. Uh, I was a youth pastor, minister, uh, taught chemistry, physics, and biology, uh, and probably a few other things along the line. But but we we went into we'd love children and the wife and I never thought our lives would go that way but we ended up fostering children for 10 years. We had almost 100 children come through our house in 10 years. Goodness. We adopted six. We had two biological, so we raised eight and then we had foreign exchange students from Germany, Japan, uh, Taiwan and I'm missing some because we had about six of those. But I, I've taught Qantas Club uh, basketball, Little League baseball, mighty might football. Uh, so for the kids in our town, I was either the coach, the dad, or or the preacher. You yeah. know, and here's the just, so, just a role model, yes, sir. And and, and we of course we uh, we helped with Junior Achievement. Uh, we've done a lot of different things with kids. Mm-hmm. And what I find with children is this: they need a structure of rules, and if they don't have that. They reach until they do find something that checks them up, Mm. oftentimes the law, and and going afoul of the law and different things. But if you set them a, a, I used to give them the Barney talk when they came into the house. The Barney
1: 5 talk? No, the Barney the 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 dinosaur. dinosaur. I
0: I, I tell them, you know, we use our manners here. It's please, thank you, you're welcome, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am. All right, and if you don't know those, I'll rent you the Barney tape and you can hear it. But that's what we use. And they quickly go from not in a home where they came from, which things were very bad, to using their manners on a regular basis. Yeah. And if you set rules, they conform to them, and then they can flourish because they know the boundaries. So they're safe in that. Children yes. children yes. are just
1: like dogs. Like, uh... Oh, my gosh. some mail's. Gonna... I'm going to get all kinds of hate mail. You better explain this. Yeah, way. so, yeah. like,
2: my ex-wife, like, I used to – I might go discipline a dog, and it might be pretty severe. And then she would say, "Well, that dog loves you. And I'm like, that dog loves me. And she couldn't understand that that dog would love me and respect me and show me respect after what I'd done.
1: Why? Why do you think that is? Because why, why because didn't?
2: dogs are pack animals, just as humans are pack animals, mm-hmm. and we want it. We feel comfort when we know the uh, what's the word? I mean, we we know how things lie.
1: Sure. Well, r- the fear r- comes in the unknown.
2: When when, when when we're not sure who is in charge, that's when chaos comes in. But 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 when we know who's in charge, and when we know the natural order of everybody, it sets everybody's ease up. Everybody's mind mm-hmm. at ease, so I would go get pretty rough with a dog, and they would just show me all this love. It's because they know where they. It doesn't matter where they fit; they just
0: want to know where they fit. You know, mm-hmm. I, I. And I'm going to turn it back to dogs just a little bit more, but that's good. When when I got a call from Roger Atkinson one time, and he works for the uh, National Park Service. All right, and he is the enforcement ranger for the Buffalo National River. Okay. Uh, I've eradicated hogs for them a lot of times in, when necessary. Roger called me one time and he said plumber he said we've had a we've had a potload of hogs do- dropped off here or two potloads out of Texas up here in the middle of the night on the park. He said, Can you come get help get on them?" He said if we don't get them quick, we'll never get them all all right So I show up the next morning down at Deer, Arkansas, well south of deer down at uh, uh, the little place that probably shouldn't even have a name. Uh, in in the Grand Can- Canyon country of the Ozarks. And I'm I'm collaring dogs up and the first dog off the tailgate that I collared up was a dog I called Blue Boy and I, I let him down and, and he went about thirty five yards over there, uh from while I was collaring the next dog. You don't like that blue dog. Uh, do son, you. I loved him. And and, and, and hey, there's no <laughs> side to it, Ed, he loved me. But <laughs> but you know, I tell you he treated squirrel and he was just go, oh, go, oh, go. Oh, and and Roger now he's con- highly concerned about this hog problem, and he looks over and sees the old blue boy dog tree and a squirrel, and he says, "Plumber, he said, what's that dog doing?" And I said, "Well, he's treeing a squirrel," and and he said, "Oh, he said we're not going to bay any hogs today." I said, "Roger, is I said if there's hogs to be bayed, we'll bay hogs." I said, "Blue boy, get out from there. Let's go." And he fell off that tree. Bayed thirty something head of hogs that day. Roger couldn't have been more thrilled, but now. If I'd have walked over there, because we're talking about the rules, and if he knows what the rules are, see, he was just checking me. If I'd have walked over there and popped that squirrel out on him, he'd have popped the next one like popcorn, and we'd have been squirrel hunting that day Yeah. because he would have. You know, uh, I took him uh, down to South Arkansas on a section farm down that they'd had some hog problems on. And and 660 acres is is pretty good size, but it's not really big when you're hog hunting. I mean, you can get off of it pretty quick. And there was a deep creek, Harrigan Creek, spelt hurricane, but if you're from the south, it's hurricane, uh, <laughs> bordered it, and so the hogs had moved over, and we didn't have permission to be on the other side, and so we had walked and just really covered this, this section for them pretty close, and and I had a bunch of young boys with me in their mid-20s, and, and they, of course, they wanted to carry their ARs and all that, and I said, no, 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 I said, uh, uh, 22 mag will suffice, you Right. Know? so they're all carrying 22 mags, and, and so we're on the back side of that place and it's getting late about two 30 in the afternoon and they're hot and sweaty and done warmed up and they said man that's a lot of walking for not not even seeing a hog and i said well boys i said look i said uh if you want to obviously the hogs are not on this place and i said and we can't fabricate a hog if there's not one here it's just not here i said but if you want to we can shoot some squirrels on the way out of here and they said with what and i said well with that dog right there and they said well, he hadn't looked up a tree all day. They said, What makes you think he's going to now? I said, Because I hadn't asked him to. And they kind of couldn't believe that. And I, I looked at old Blue Boy and called him. And I grabbed the limb on the tree and barked like a squirrel and said, Get him, son. They like to melted the barrels down on them. Twenty two mags heading back out there. They killed a sack full of squirrels. Had a big time. They said we can't believe that. That said, that dog never even looked up a tree till you told him to. But he knows the rules. and yeah. he knows, he's able. We've worked on it. He knows how.
1: So. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I think you know we get pigeonholed on what our dogs are capable mm-hmm. of doing. You know, you look at you look at these dogs that do all sorts of things and to think that that you've just got a coon dog you've just got a deer dog you've just got a coyote dog man the right dogs can do a lot of different stuff and they can do it well absolutely i mean that's you know like my grandfather my
2: great-grandfather i mean at least no i can only speak from oklahoma but back in those times they were not feeding A bunch of dogs. They fed one, maybe two dogs,
0: and that dog could do everything. Let me speak to that a little, bit. Here's what happened back in those days, and I I think I'm one of the last dinosaurs in that era, but when we had post-depression years, open range, you had uh, oftentimes, in my family at least the case, uh, a mom and a dad and 12 kids in a two-room shack. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they couldn't afford buy sack dog feed, wormer. Okay, they couldn't afford to feed a dog that didn't have a purpose and work. Okay, so where did they get that? They went to the bloodline man and bought that dog. Now that dog, the bloodline man didn't let any fence jumper breed his dogs because he had a product even with poor people that he could sell. See, and
1: and if well, what's he, a bloodline man? Lay that out. Well. To me, and, of
0: course, there may be different definitions from different people, but sitting in the chair, uh, our family's raised Catahoula dogs for generations.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, my grandfather uh, and my, my dad, now even before them, but I was handed a pretty good set of dogs early on, all right? And we've grown that and we've bred that. Now, we have, uh, over the years, uh, outcrossed a time or two. Now I'm gonna probably upset some people, okay, with this statement. Oh, don't do it! Don't do it. Well, <laughs> too late. Too late. You gave me the mic. Okay, but I like upsetting people. But, you, know, <laughs> with, with, you know, say for instance the the Catahoula breed. I don't believe the wives' tales that are told about the the making of a Catahoula dog. Matter of fact, modern science has disproved it. Okay, it
1: came out of the. Ri- red wolf louisiana That's, and what they and say they friends. say that that hernando
0: de soto's yep, war and the red wolf the red wolf. you can genetically test a catahoula dog today i don't care if it's yours mine or somebody else's and no
1: wonder everything around here is
0: going they're up. bringing in hogs for the <laughs> <They're> two <two-dog laughs> dog bay whole, off right now right whole in front trailer of trailer load uh, yeah. not just hogs but wild wild tuskers good hog, uh, good hogs. Right. yeah but
1: looking at a 24 20 foot trailer full of tuskers right there yeah, and
0: you can maybe hear the dogs in the background all I'll sounding guarantee off guarantee it guarantee uh, i'm wondering what
1: the heck is pretty, going on pretty
0: excited about it but go ahead, go but, ahead. The, but the story goes for the catahoula breed and and i'm just going to tell you boys it's not true no okay? it's not. you can genetically test them they've never seen a red wolf okay they've never seen a greyhound or a mastiff which is all in the story that you'll hear when I grew up, they didn't just call them Catahoula dogs. Now, this is really going to set the hair on some people. Now, that's a southern saying, and you'll have to look that one up. But, but – <laughs> and I expect maybe you will. Uh, <laughs> but but when, uh, when you look at where these dogs came from, they are a product of the southern states, the poor southern states, uh, post-Civil War era, when we had to have a dog to help put food on the table – uh, catch fur at night. Keep the family farm safe from wolves, bears, bobcats, you know, coyotes, whatever, foxes, coons, varmints from my chickens, from my cattle, from my from hogs, from those things. Had to protect the food. them, sure, absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. Out of your, out of your corn crop, out of your garden, whatever. You had to have a dog to be able to do that. And herd cows? But, yes, had to herd your cattle because you had open range. Had to, had to go gather hogs in the spring of year because you had to earmark your hogs. That's right. My grandfathers both have a mark. I, I've got it in a book at the house that they had registered their mark at the county courthouse for their open range hogs. And every spring, you'd go gather those hogs, mark the pigs, and you. in Arkansas, there's uh, Calhoun County, it's called Hogskin County. It was illegal to take a hog out of the woods without an earmark on him. Hmm. If you did, it was theft. Yeah, you know? it was theft. And, it, and it, was a, it was a bad deal. People been killed over it. Okay? But, but the dogs were developed all across the South. You can go to North Carolina. Okay? A lot of people called them. Oh, this is going to make some people mad. Oh, my goodness. Do it. They, a lot make people, them mad. A lot of people called them leopard curs. Okay? They called them leopard curs. The only people, really, that called them Catahoula, and I'm not saying that the folks in this great state of Louisiana didn't have a hand and mold what we see as a Catahoula dog today because they most certainly have, okay? But the Catahoula dog came from the, the Catahoula Lake region, Catahoula Parish, Louisiana, mm-hmm. all right? But Florida, with their Cracker Curs, which are leopard dogs, by the way, and y'all, okay, uh, have the same story about Hernando de Soto and his war dogs, North Carolina.
1: Uh, got somebody crawling over here for bird dog. <laughs> North,
0: North Carolina, same story. Uh, a lot of leopard spotted cur dogs in North Carolina. They've got the same folklore story.
1: Well, wh- who? which plot? Lep's plot. Right. Lep's plot or plots Lep Shep or mm-hmm. whatever they called that thing. He was a leopard dog. The first
0: and- outcross on the plot hound. In the United States. Went to Georgia. Was out of Rayburn Gap, Georgia, and it was a leopard spotted cur bitch. Yep. Okay. And he he had his own. If you read their book, the
1: first one that there's a picture of.
0: Sure. Well, no, actually, they they, they probably not a picture of that first outcross uh, because when when they made that outcross off the plot dogs, mm-hmm. uh, they they made it to a leopard spotted curbage out of Rayburn Gap, Georgia. And the the book in the the family history plot tells that he already had in Rayburn Gap, Georgia, an established working line. Of leopard-spotted cur dogs. That's right. Same thing. I mean, if you really get
2: down to it, the Catahoula—it kind of is. The Walker has kind of been attributed to
0: American as an American dog, Mm -hmm. but
2: really, I think the Catahoula
1: is a more American dog than the. I
0: think uh, it is a true American dog. Now, it—you know—here's here's here's what I tell people. Well, now
1: here's here's where we get down the weeds because the plot dog is the only. It, plot breeders will tell you the same thing about plot. Well, well, they're wrong. I mean, that comes from Germany, right? They did. The Hanoverian the, hound. Isn't. The Hanoverian hound came from Germany, mm-hmm. but the the original dogs that what we know as a plot today has no European influence. Yeah, but I w- I, I would, I mean, hand, here we go. Hands down. Here we go.
2: Hands okay. down. The, the and I'm a fan of, of plot dogs, but hands down the cat. And I'm not a Catahoula guy.
0: Yeah, right.
2: Hands down, the Catahoula is far more American than the plot is. Well, it?
0: here's the thing: when God told Adam to name all the animals,
1: okay, we're going to drop back to the beginning. Okay? he
0: didn't. He didn't have. He didn't say that's a rhinoceros, that's a giraffe, that's an elephant, and that's a Louisiana Catahoula. Yeah. He did not say that. It was a dog. Okay, right. God made a dog. Man made the Catahoula. Okay, yeah. and he was developed. And how was he developed? Okay, here we go. I can. I can prove it, okay? Now, the bloodline men, back in those days when it was important for your grandpa to have a working dog that was a meat dog that, that served a purpose. He could afford to table scrap that dog and feed that dog, okay? He had to have a purpose, all right? So, for the bloodline man, what he what was his job was he had to have a dog, for one thing, that had drive. No, I'm, you guys are going to have me banished. But... That's good. The, the, the dog out here that has the most drive, and you'll see them here today, there's several of them, I've noticed them, is a bird dog. The Back when we had birds in this country, men genetically bred bird dogs. You say, what kind? Well, English uh, pointers, German short hair pointers, right. uh, or wire mouth pointers. All right. So, they those dogs had drive. They'd work in the field all day long, flushing birds. All right. Now. They had to have a dog that had to have a nose. So there comes the hound influence. If you look at a Catahoula dog, uh, if you look at my bloodline and somebody else's, you'll notice some of them have a little longer ear, like a houndy ear. That's because they got hound in them. You say, what kind of hound? Every kind of hound. Plot hounds, blue ticks, red bones. All right. And we can even get into the genetic part of it. Uh, If you look at the hound breeds, okay, the plot hound, obviously, I used to have a plot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> one. But, but, you used right, to. I had the one, uh, and I, I have
1: one who But, but
0: the you know, even if you're going to bench show a plot hound, his ears—the problem with a plot hound is his ears don't reach the end of his nose. And if a and if a bench show judge is going to judge that hound, that's one of the first things he's going to do is grab his ears, pull it to the end of his nose. Good. If it don't come to the end of his nose or past, he's docked. That's how. Well, that's how you
2: tell how open they're
1: going to be. That's what right. so we always well, do. And, and the longer that? the ears, you talking about? they'll
0: blue tick you. Every time their foot hits the ground, they'll open. Okay? <laughs> yeah. but, but,
1: but I got those too.
0: But we had to have a dog that not only had dry, but he had to have a nose. So now, if you look at the color palette of a Catahoula dog, mm-hmm. uh, there's what we call blue leopard, which is merle. Mm-hmm. That's going to make some people mad too. Uh, and, then, and then there's a red leopard. Okay. Now, where did those colors come from? If you look at the blue tick hound, which was developed in the great state of Louisiana, if you look at the red bone hound, the red bone hound is the only member of the hound breed. Now he was bred out of bloodhounds, but he's the only member of the hound breed that is web footed to the tip of his toes. Now, if you listen to folks in Louisiana, they'll tell you that the Catahoula evolved in the swamps, and that's why he's web-footed to the tip of his toes. That's (laughs) not true, okay? That's not true. There had had to be a genetic marker that come into those dogs that that brought that web-foot.
1: Right. comes from a red bone hand. I've heard all this about the Catahoula. All these things about the Catahoula that you're saying, I've heard of. It's funny because, like, my great-uncle, one of my great-uncles,
2: Tom Barnes, born in 1914— and he, you know, he he free range hogs in northeast Oklahoma, and uh, I had I was raising Catahoula's at the time, and I go by his house, and uh, he had Catahoulas, but he didn't he he didn't know them as Catahoula's. Sure, right, right. He he said they were stock dogs. Sure. Well, he started yeah. since the time I was little, he started he would describe these dogs to me. I didn't realize until I was up in my. Early 20s, I'm like, these are Catahoulas. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to him one day and I was like, you know, oh, so you had Catahoulas? Oh, no, I, didn't. I never had Catahoulas.
1: <laughs> I had stock dogs. Right. I was like, yeah. Well, yeah, like, you do- can talk about the original Mountain Cur the same way. Yeah, sure. You know, there's people that say that the original Mountain Cur in Appalachia had stepped off the Mayflower, mm-hmm. you know, and never been anything bred. That's, that's absolutely impossible right. to have happened. Mountain people. And even just rural America wasn't wired that way. You weren't going to travel 50 miles to go breed your dog to something. You, know, you could have a got-
0: you could have a famous dog of any breed back in those days, and he might be famous for three counties. Yeah. Not yeah. The whole state or the yeah. United States, because yeah. we didn't have the internet back then. That right. shrunk the world. You yeah. Know? Well, my uncle Tom, uh, like, uh,
2: but if you said Kerr, hmm. so I would start. He didn't know Catahoula. So, I start laying out the other names because they got a million names. Oh, sure. And if you said Kerr, he was in his mid to late 80s. He would bow up and, like, want to fight you if you said Kerr. Uh But they were obviously Catahoulas. And then we got to talking, and uh, he had bought them from Mr. Stodgill. Tom Stodgill. I knew him
0: well. And
2: and Stodgill used to travel Mm -hmm. and sell dogs. And that's – and I kind of Finally pulled it out of him, and that's where he got them was from
0: Stodgill, And I'm like, hey, they're Catahoulas. Well, well, he just knew so, them as Stock Dogs. But where did
1: they come from? Then? Okay, if they didn't come from the wolf,
0: and they didn't come right. from the. right, they, they've got they've got bird dog in them, they've got hound in them, they've got pit bull in them. But
1: let, let me let me yeah. dial it back and get the question out here. You got them in Florida, you got them leopard cur we over in in Georgia, Louisiana. They're where all through the they, south. Where did they come from? Where was the because those are all places of Spanish influence, so did the sure. Spanish have...
0: Here's here's where the original, and, and I think maybe if you boil it down, what you're looking for is because of genetics. Where did the merle come from? Okay, where did the merle come from? It came from a French dog, uh, the French Buceron. Yep. Okay. Now, Tom Stodgill was a friend of mine, mm-hmm. and he actually got a hold of a letter that was dated in the late 1800s from a couple of Cajuns down in South Louisiana, and they had shipped, imported a couple of French Bucerones into South Louisiana, okay? Now, these Bucerones in, in France at that time, now, if you look them up on the Internet, they come in two colors. They'll come in a, a, a blue merle or a
1: black and tan,
0: Okay. So that's okay. why I mentioned the red bone bringing in the fail melon in to make the red leopard dogs mm-hmm. because red color had to come from somewhere.
1: And how many leopard curds have you seen that, that have black and tan markings?
0: A lot. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. So, oh yeah. Absolutely. And another thing, and you'll see that in my bloodline of Catahoula dogs, see a French bucerone has to at least, now, now we're not talking about maximum, in the least they have to be double clawed in the back to be registered as a purebred French bucerone Okay. <laughs> A lot of my dogs, now not all of them, but a lot of them, and it's a throwback. Will have double or triple dew claws in the back, and that comes from the bucerone influence. Okay, so so it's a it's a mixture of dogs. And and what Tom did was he ordered a set when he read that letter. He ordered a set. He called me after the fact. He said, Plumber, you're not going to believe it." He said, "Now if you look at the herding dog breeds, which I don't think that a Catahoula really is." Okay. Because if you look at your herding dog breeds, a lot of them are collie-type dogs or mm-hmm. shepherd-type dogs. They've got a specific way of herding and moving sheep right. or cattle. Right, That's not a Catahoula dog, okay?
1: Catahoulas are too rough on it, sheep. It's
0: more of a prey drive, I believe, with a, with a Catahoula dog. Now, it's it's way, in my mind, in some sense, uh, in open pasture or wood lot situations is more effective. They're head dogs instead uh, yeah. of heel dogs. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and they will take a position if you if you say for instance working cattle and you've got a head dog one working the head and you add one to the pack he'll take his position and then before long if you keep you'll have them on both sides and the front and they'll drive effectively but but it's a different technique and a style right the French bucerone works exactly the same way mm. as a Catahoula dog okay
1: it's- so let's let's fast forward to the modern day if we're gonna if we're gonna say that the leopard and the Catahoula, and even influencing the plot. I mean, the, when you say leopard, like, that, and that's a that's a whole other can of worms, like. Exactly. That's what I was going to get to. Where did the tree come from? Because are your dogs mm-hmm. natural, mm-hmm. natural tree well, dogs? Well, now here's mm-hmm.
0: here's what happened. See, when I was a boy, uh, these dogs were multi-purpose dogs. Okay, mm-hmm. they they treat coons at night, squirrels in the daytime, bait hogs, where cattle, did it all. Okay. Right. We expected that out of them. Absolutely, all right. But with the change of demographics in the United States and and prosperity, that's where I want to go. Okay, yeah, we we started getting away from the small farms. Yep. Okay, uh, so things changed, and and suddenly there wasn't as much need for a Catahoula dog. And I've watched it through the decades, the changing in the Catahoula breed. Okay, and and used to now you were talking about florida and in north carolina georgia all right i used to when i was a young man i could look at a catahoula dog or a leopard cur dog and tell you where he come from okay i could tell you the breeder okay because they were breed specific you could look at them and he has had a little different look than mine mine had a little di- different look than somebody else sure the internet's kind of melded all that and it's more difficult to do but you knew chester wager did you chester chester H- wager all right, I know wager dogs right. Well that's where they come from yeah. All right, Chester, the last time I talked to Chester I think he was 82 years old And, and I asked Chester And he was uh, from Bowbridge, Louisiana And I said Mr. Chester I said where did you get your first Catahoula dog And he did Like you was talking a minute ago He did not say I got my first Catahoula dog from so and so He said I got a little black and tan curb, bitch. From my father-in-law that was working cattle on the Atchafalaya River Basin and loading them on barges off the levee, and he had some good cow dogs. Mm-hmm. He never called them a, a Catahoula dog. Yeah. And the ones he got to begin with weren't even leopard. They were black and tan. Okay. And now he went on to breed. He's one of the great influences of the of the Catahoula breed today. Uh, I've even got a little wager blood in my dogs. It's one of the outcrosses we did do back in the probably mid-80s, I mean, early probably 80s, probably I mean, late we're sitting, 80s.
2: We're sitting here at Uncle Earl's, probably half the – I mean, we're at a Catahoula event.
0: Mm-hmm. I well, mean, right, there's more Catahoulas here than anything else.
2: 90% right. of the dogs that go in that pen are Catahoula. Mm-hmm. And probably half of those go back to Wager. Probably half, so. Yeah. At one point. Right.
0: But what Chester did, Mr. Chester was a, a fine man. Uh, he told me, he said, I took – that that dog and he told me that he called her pups that was her name and he didn't say i went to see if i could find me another Ketahula dog to breed her to he said i got to searching for good cow dogs and he actually went over into texas and found mr king over there that had a renowned cow dog and bred her okay and so in 19 i believe it was it 79 excuse me when they started the nalc that's when he they all gathered their dogs and went down there and had them registered that was the foundation dogs for the National Association of Louisiana Catahoulas. Hmm. So, so those dogs were bred by bloodline men for production, for work. And what now, what Chester did, because Chester was not a coon dog guy. He was not a squirrel dog guy. He bred hard-driving cow dogs, okay? So in the late 80s, mid-80s, late 80s, early 90s, I saw a change in the Catahoula breed as a whole. And what that change was, was we saw more cow dogs that would not look up. Now, hmm. and I believe you being a Plotman dog, you'd know this, that there is a genetic in a dog that gives them the ability to think, to look up.
2: Yeah, okay? a lot of dogs don't know the yeah. world that yeah. exists yeah. above their heads. A, a lot of
0: dogs maybe would track a coon, but they'll track all the way around the ground, never figure out he went up a tree. Okay? Yeah, I've got
1: a, I've got a other dog. Yeah, I've seen other dogs, breeds mm-hmm. of dogs that... That will track, but the tree, that's what separates the hound. Right,
0: and now those were good dogs for what they were, and there was a need in the market at that time for cow dogs, all right? Uh, Over the years, then we, on the onset of the bay dogs, okay? Now, I'm at the biggest, right now we're sitting here at the biggest bay uh, competition in the world for hog bay dogs, and it has been a blessing of sorts, but there has been maybe a little bit of effect in a negative way on the Catahoula breed due to the bay pens.
1: Well, I want to get to that, but I, ask, I got to ask you this first. So, do you think that the needs of different regions changed the leopard Catahoula, whatever you know, whatever we're going to call it? Do you think because of Distinct needs in certain regions. It kind of took that track. More, absolutely, yeah. more than other. Areas. Sure, absolutely. I mean, it has
2: to. I mean, it, if we stop, you know, there's people who are stuck in history and want to keep a dog what it used to be. Mm-hmm. Which I have respect for that. I, I love history, but this is all fluid, and we change from what we need for a dog to do. Yeah. So. If we stop that and freeze that in history, we're killing that dog. We've got a dog. And that's it's one no of the great relevant. things about a Catahoula is a Catahoula has made it from the 1700s into the 2000s and is still
0: well, rele- they're, relevant. They're able to mold
2: and evolve to the need at hand because it's a cur dog. Sure. I mean, and when you get down to the base of it, my great-uncle Tom, like I said, if you, if you said cur dog, he was 89 years old, and he'd stand up and ball his fist up and want to punch you. Right. Because cur used to mean right. that was a worthless, a mongrel dog. Mongrel, right. mm-hmm. Curtailed dog. Worthless dog. dog. Right. But just as, the do- just as the dogs that we raise, that word has changed in its meaning. And, and when I say cur, I mean a dog that can do what I need it to right. do. No matter what that
1: is, yeah, we've all heard that term "mangy cur." Yeah, you so, know, I mean, but so there's a a term of it's a term of endearment for a dog man. It's like, oh, he keeps good cur dogs. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that means something. well. And you know,
0: with Ed uh, in Oklahoma, his need for a specific dog is different than mine. See, because he he hunts a different terrain, the outlay of the land's different, the, the vastness of it's different. I, I hunt the Ozark Mountain region primarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dogs, you know, uh, you can take a flatland dog that hasn't hunted the mountains and turn him out, and he may be a hog dog. But he humps up and down a few of them mountains, and they will jerk the want two out of him pretty quick. Okay? I'm, in
2: the, I'm in the foothills
0: of the Ozarks, so I'm pretty right, close right. to you. But, but you know, you see in different regions uh, a different need for a dog, and what we've done in this hog hunting industry is we've educated the hogs. Uh, the hogs that we see today are not the old open-range hogs that we used to have. Now we've got a European influence in these hogs, Mm -hmm. and a hog's very intelligent. And and if you've got dogs that that haven't got enough bottom end in them to run a hog to a bay or what we commonly call a running catch dog, something that has enough bite power to stop a hog, well, a hog knows all i got to do is run, and if I run long enough, they'll quit. Right. Okay. Well, if you've got the right dogs, they don't quit, see. Yeah. But, but but we've trained them to think that that's the case because there's a lot of guys with, how should I say, not as good of dogs out there that, that allow them to escape. And if you ever allow them to escape one time, well, he's smarter next time. See? That's right. And it, and it ups the game. But, yeah.
2: But, I mean I, I mean, I think of the word cur in a totally different way than, you know, my great uncle. I mean, I think I, when I hear cur, I think intelligence, mm-hmm. where it used to, that wasn't the connotation that came across was intelligence, but right. like my uh, great-great-grandfather, I've got a picture with him and his horse and his dog, and his dog was a collie-type dog, and my uh, one of my uncles Uncles who knew the the man and the dog was telling me he's like that dog was amazing. Mm-hmm. He's like that dog herded cows, treed squirrels, bade hogs. Yeah. And to me, that's what a cur is. A, a cur is a dog that can do anything. Where in the past, a cur used to be a dog you do nothing. You know? sure, I mean, that's right. what they thought of it, it when you said yeah. cur. That's what.
0: Well, they, I think the name is 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 is. is the same as the dogs have evolved yeah. you know and, and mm-hmm. so if there is any evolution at all it's in that yeah you know right so right uh,
1: let's talk I mean, ab- go ahead i was just going to say let's talk about bay pen versus hunting versus what this okay, well, event has done one thing that
0: the bay pens have done has has brought up uh, new interest in say for instance the catahoula breed okay uh and and what it, and and kind of like what I was talking about there a minute ago, the requirements of what it takes to make a bay pen dog is oftentimes totally different than what it takes to make a woods dog, you know, because here we've got dogs that are scored to where you want them close to that hog. They can't get within a certain distance or they'll be barred or docked, not barred, but docked on their points. They've got a bay tight and they've got to bark as fast as they can bark uh, within reason and and not take their eyes off that hog, but in that it for my purpose, because I want a broad spectrum dog, I want a dog that we can take to any task. Okay. If 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 somebody and, and Ed knows this, but there are people that specifically breed bay pen dogs for competition. Yep. And they do not hunt their dogs. All right. Now I've had i I've seen people bring dogs on a hunt that they bought that, that was a bay pin dog. And he won't hunt his way across the street. <laughs> but he'll sit up on a hog a half inch off his nose and throw slobber as fast as he can. You know, yeah. he he's got that part down. They bred him to do that and they're doing that part very well. But for me, I want that dog because if we're gonna pass on and see and that's back to that bloodline thing, if we're gonna pass on a a finished product, a good product to mm future generations, somebody has to be the conservator of the estate. I mean, yeah. we've got we've yeah. to watch and make sure we're keeping those good genetics and those things back in those dogs. And, and so when I send a dog to somebody that's got my name on it, it's, it's very important to me. It may, I may send it to a friend of mine or somebody else or whatever, but if that dog doesn't work, he's got my name on it because yeah. I live vicariously through them. See? I mean, so basically
2: I, what we've, you know, hog band evolved – because hog hunters got, you know, like we all do. If me and Raymond went hunting, we'd probably, maybe not the first time, but probably the fifth time, Raymond would be like, my dog's better than yours. I'm like, no, my dog's better than yours. <laughs> so that's where this sure, sport that sure. we're sitting at, that's yeah. where that came from. It's right. competition.
1: That yeah. this this. It's the same way with competition, coon hunting, Ed. You to, know, to a degree,
2: when, but. Not quite as far. So I mean, this came from like, okay, well, you think your dog's better than mine? Well, let's set up a competition and let's see whose is better,
1: you know. And uh, we're, we're giving competition coon hunters are hunting for a hundred thousand dollars every month. Yeah, you know, giving away. Well, I'm sorry, they're giving away a truck every month. Yeah, in pro sport and stuff like that. So, I mean, I I'd have to argue with you that that not to the extent that you guys have. But I don't, my point was this. I don't care whether you've ever entered a competition hunt or not. If I raise this dog and I train this dog, when I was just starting out, John Ashby and I would be out there hunting, and we'd be keeping score in our own heads, you know, whose dogs did what and how they did them and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you know, that. I mean, I'm not a competitive person. Okay, so
2: I've got two, three guys that I hunt with all the time. And like I said, I'm not a competitive person at all. So, like, when, when I go hunting and the guys I hunt with, we think of ourselves as more of one unit than yep. four different dudes who have four different sets of dogs. So, I'm proud when we when the dogs do good, even when they're not my dogs, because we've all kind of, in our group, we've all had a hand in training these younger dogs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh yeah these dogs might belong to this guy and that guy, but we've all been hunting together the whole time, and we've all kind of
1: each each one of you just has a set of dogs you're responsible for feeding and taking care yeah, of yeah I mean
2: we feed these dogs but but we've all trained these dogs together and, right. and it's more of a to me it's more of a community thing so I, but i'm not a competitive person, but you come here so what I'm getting at so this this evolved to see who's got the best yeah but like anything like competition coon hunting over the years you get a competition with money involved and people are going to start breeding dogs to the competition and not to the hunt absolutely and then after 20 25 years it evolves to where you get dogs that are bred to the
0: competition to win money
2: And they've gotten so far away from the original thing. I think it goes back
0: to what you were saying about regionally it can happen, you know, a different function or use for a dog. And a dog maybe takes a little different direction, you know. uh, And, you know, I hate to say this, but one of the things that has has really hurt the Catahoula breed uh, is what I call the hobby breeders. And, and, and the curse of the Catahoula dog is they probably got the largest color palette of any dog breed.
2: Yeah, it's terrible. And,
0: and, and so they can come in just this array of colors. And, and then they have these beautiful glass eyes and things. And so a lot of people, they want a Catahoula dog to look like a Catahoula dog, mm-hmm. but definitely don't act like one. Okay, they want it to be like their French poodle that'll sit on the couch with them and watch TV. Well, I tell people to call a Catahoula dog, a dog is like calling a game rooster a chicken, okay? The fact is a game rooster is a chicken. He's just the most different chicken you're ever going to run into. And if you've got a well-bred Catahoula dog, that's the way he is too. You either give him a job or he'll find one, and typically the one he finds is the wrong one.
1: That's exactly right. I've said that about border collies. i said that about the Catahoula we had. And any high-drive dog, if you don't find a job, they're going to find one. That could be chasing cars. That could be – that could be chewing the, killing your chickens. That could be chewing the siding off your house. I've had it happen with all of them, yeah. you know, that you don't get a job for them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, a lot of people, uh, they don't think about that. They just want the dog. You know, they want a dog, and they, he's beautiful. I want him. And then they get this grizzly bear home and don't realize what they've got and yeah. you know what are we going to do with this thing? I mean he's just killed the neighbor's cat and yeah. you know or, or something terrible you know and, and now we have to deal with that yeah. you know pick a different dog <laughs> yeah.
1: right exactly exactly. But. I just saw the dog for him that French bulldog walking down through there. that'd be a great dog form. yeah
2: mm-hmm. so. yeah I mean I mean the bay Pen it's amazing to watch I mean I don't discount the bay pen side of it, you know I mean you they've trained dogs to stay six inches from a hog's nose and take a charge without making a loop and that's amazing, but like I say, it's gotten so far. It's gotten so far from the hog hunting side that it's
1: become its own thing. Oh, it is. And, not to, and
2: not to discount this, mm-hmm. because that has its Can own… Can you
1: still reach into that genetic pool and pull out what you need? Not really. If, I, you,
0: if you did, it would not… I don't think it would be an immediate thing unless it was just kind of a freak. You know, if you did pull out of something here and, and, and you wanted to turn it back to its original purpose, there'd have to be some breeding and training to gain back what we've lost, or, or at least what we've changed the purpose of. I mean, there's, I mean you know. there's,
2: there's pro guys down here who are going to spend $10,000 in entry fees this week that do hog hunt, but yeah. they have, they have for the most part, they have their hog hunting dogs and their bay pen dogs.
1: Competition bay dogs. You, I mean, there's
2: a few. There's a few. Not yeah. very many, but
0: babies. a few that will do both. But you could take... A bay pin, say, we'll, we'll talk about a Catahoula. You could take a, excuse me, a bay pin Catahoula dog, a Woods Catahoula dog, or some hobby breeder's Catahoula dog and set them beside each other and you can't physically look at them and tell the difference. No, mm-hmm. no. You know, it, it's only when you put them yeah, to, to yeah. purpose that you find well, out. You know, and, what you
2: and, know. and that's what's, and, and that's where this sport is changing the last three years is that, so today, I helped uh, a woman friend of mine run in the sportsman class. So, used to this was just totally pros. Now you got the pro class. Then you got what they call a woods class, which is guys who are going to hunt them dogs, but they're also here to bay them dogs. And then you got the sportsman's class, which is guys who only hunt their dogs, have never been to a bay pen, and like on the sportsman. You can enter a sportsman dog for 30 bucks where a woods class or a pro class dog is going to cost you 190. Yeah. So they're opening it up. They've they've realized this like kind of divide this split. That's cool. That's, and and they're opening it up to where new guys can come into this,
1: you know, uh, still have a function. They still want to come, they want to see I've always thought about, you know, what would my dog look like? How would he be scored in a bay pen? Yeah. I've only been a hog hunter. Now yeah. I can go to Uncle Earl's yeah. and, and enter that class. Yeah. That's forward thinking right there. Yeah, I mean I'm yeah, that, that's exactly what it is. And mm-hmm. and and me
2: and Pat and Jake have been talking about this for years and that's where it comes from is that uh you have to you have to introduce new blood into this sport or it's gonna die just like fox pens. Well it's just
1: like it's like NASCAR. You know, you look at you look at NASCAR, and then you've got you've got late models, and you've got sprint cars. You know, a sprint car guy's is not going to show up at Talladega next week and compete and win yeah. and win. Yeah. So there you go. You yeah. know, so Uncle Earl's has has seen that need and made it. I made mean, it where they yeah. Can I mean, compete. they're thinking about the future and how
2: right. to grow this sport or keep it as big as it mm-hmm. is now. And, and to do that, you have to bring new people in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there might be some Fox events that are as big as this. I've never been – this is the biggest dog event I've ever been to.
1: Yeah, Autumn Oaks is – Autumn Oaks in Richmond, Indiana, the Coonhound event is huge. Huge. Yeah, they, they'll they enter, you know, 11, 12 – I think the biggest year they had 1,200 dogs or so Yeah, entered. So, I mean, it is – it's huge. I mean, this, um, this week we're
2: running uh, in the two-dog, there was – Two hundred and fifty-one pairs. The one dog there was like hundred and
1: forty-three yeah. dogs. I mean, but that's still impressive. Oh, for it's a, huge. for a you know a hog hunting, hog hunting event. I think it's something that that has a lot of value. If nothing else, just getting people together. Yeah, I know. mean, a,
2: hog hunting doesn't have the uh, ancestry that. Coon hunting or fox hunting has in America, it's growing. Mm-hmm. I mean, though the those sports are dropping while coon hunting or hog hunting's on the rise. You know, I,
0: and I don't know. I've not done the polling myself, but I've heard in the last few years, uh, prior to COVID at least, that that the number one fastest rising dog sport in America was hog hunting. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's really put a shot in the arm to some of these hunters. You know that that wow now we've got something and i will tell you this Ned ed could probably testify to that as well if you don't want to get hooked on it don't ever start trying yeah. don't try it yeah because yeah. it'll get in you and on you and then you can't quit so well, i mean yeah, it's kind of
2: like you know like running uh foxhounds in the open coyote dogs running dogs i mean that's a dying sport because yeah. i mean it's not high excitement it's I mean, when I, I haven't done it in a long time, but when I was a kid, it was a bunch of old men sitting around fire, sitting around a fire on the side of a dirt road, drinking whiskey and, and arguing iron. about whose dog was That's in front, who, whose
0: dog's in front. Right. Well,
2: a lot of new kids didn't get into that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't fast paced. It form. wasn't fast paced. Yeah, we used to have a coyote. And you know, coon hunting is kind of on the wane. It's not that fa- I I know so many hog hunters right by my house that were coon
1: hunters. Younger kids, and they went Coonan or they went Hogun one time, and they're I, done with killing. Well, dogs. it's also our game departments are making it. They're not making it easy, but but they know that there's a problem with hogs. So the the wild hog is the number one enemy in Texas and the expansion. Yeah, but is they're wild not hog. making it easy for us. Like you, know, I, I, you, th-
0: you would think they would.
1: I, that's why I said they're not really making it easy, but they understand that there's a problem, and then they throw up a bunch of roadblocks. To make in Indiana, you can't even you can't hunt hogs with a dog. Oh, I mean, I mean they throw up roadblocks
2: constantly, but it doesn't even matter because you know hog hunting is
1: we have a exciting. population of hogs and it's, it's adrenaline. Oh, the
0: adrenaline surge with, with hog hunting is like no other. Yeah, and yeah, uh, you know, I'll tell you a little story real quick. I had a, a several guys that from church that wanted to go hog or asked ask me actually to go up to a high fence enclosure down in Texas and go hunt. And I said no, thank you. They said, Well, we thought you was a hog hunter. And I said, Look, if he don't have a dog throwing slobber in his face, I care nothing about it. And so so I invited them after they got back to go with me one day. And we went over on, off to Brock Lake over there. And, and, uh, and a buddy of mine from Eastern Arkansas, he's raised my bloodline of dogs his whole life, uh, was with us. And, and he's about six foot two and pretty skinny, but he knows my dogs pretty well and kind of like your buddies that hunt with you, you know. And so we kicked out and, and we, we bait three more hogs early uh and and one of them went to cave i'd crawl in the cave you know because he he, he, you know they go to the hardest places you know and and when you're crawling into a black dark cave where you stick your finger in the eye and can't see it coming it's kind of gnarly you know when you're hearing a boar hog in there grunting and dog crying and dogs crying and you know so anyway we got we got the first three boar hogs killed and, and we wasn't very far from the truck and i told them guys i said man for the ozarks i said that's an amazing day we're within a good walk to the truck three boar hogs 10 30 in the morning let's, let's call it good and i looked around and that old blue boy dog was gone <laughs> and i said did y'all see where that blue boy dog went and one of them guys says well he went over that hill right there last time i seen him and me and my other buddy he he says, oh, no. And, and we go and, and just lean into the wind, and, and just barely, you think that maybe you can hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the wind. It's, <laughs> he's way out there. And I said, oh, no, no. So we had to go. Well, I had a, another gentleman that he was just getting started hog hunting, and he had bought him a couple of dogs, and he was, he was running the video that day. Well... We bade the the Ozarks are famous for having chain bluffs around the tops of the mountains. And we baited this hog on a west-facing bluff, uh, and it it probably came out 20 foot from the face of the bluff, and then down it dropped about four foot down and then went on down the mountain. But it's right at the top of the mountain, and he he weighed about 350 pounds. Well— I had no desire to pack a 350-pound oh, hog yeah. all the way out of mountains when we already right. had three. So I said, look, let's catch the dogs and, and get them out of here. Well, Jerome says, look, about that time, these hogs can be super fast. The hog jumps out, and he gutted one of Jerome's dogs, just boom, Just and we had six dogs on him. He gutted one, just dropped his guts. All right. And Jerome says, my God. And then he moved so fast, he hit another one of Jerome's dogs, and he nutted him, okay? One of them was swinging on the cord, and and out he is. He hit the third one of Jerome's dogs. Now, I got three in there, and he's got three. He smashed him up against the bluff, broke some ribs. He's out. And Jerome says, by God, he said, said, let's catch them dogs. He's putting us out of the business. And so we jump up there. Now, this Tim is videoing. The hog breaks and runs down the bluff. Well, now, I'm about one step behind Jerome when that hog turns around and comes back through my dogs like a torpedo coming back at us. Well, you don't ever run downhill on a hog. You can't outrun one. I went up that bluff like a cat squirrel. I'm holding onto the rock face, and Jerome is a flatlander, and he went off that bench going downhill trying to get them long legs unwound, and that hog run him down. And now it was cold, January, and he had Carhartt coveralls, blue jeans, and thermals on. Hog hooked him between, in the straddle, threw him about eight foot in the air. Okay. He lands in the sack of his cell, and I run down there and grabbed him, all right? And he's holding both hands over his crotch. Well, I've done seen him nut that other dog, you know? And I said, boy, are you all right? And he, he opens his hands up and blood runs out right below his right testicle. It didn't, didn't get his testicle. And I said... Boy, you better hold up. I said, you got a femoral artery in there. You could bleed out. Right. Well, Tim comes up there, and I said, did you get that on video? He said, by God, no. He said, if my wife saw that, my kids would never get to go. (laughs) Well, so I said, you watch him. Don't let him bleed out. I'm going to get the dog. And so I headed down the mountain, come up the other side. We bait the hog again. Well, I'm not big on calling old blue boy off of a hog. Now, I can call him off cattle, but he had had never had called him off a hog. And so... I called to him, and he looked at me, and when he looked at me, boom, that hog hit him. And, Bud, I, I mean just immediately, I pulled out and shot that hog right between eyeballs. Well, old Tom Stevens was sitting right beside me when I shot the hog right between the eyes. You could see the hole. And the hog just wound his head up and, boom, took off. And Tom says, you shot that hog right between the eyes, and he just ran off. I said, <laughs> yeah, well, let's go kill him. And so we went on down and killed the hog. And I come back, and Jerome is poking the guts back. And this is probably terrible for your podcast. But he's, <laughs> he's poking the guts back in his hog, er, in his dog. An hour and, and a
1: half and, podcast down the tube. And, and so, <laughs> and so I said, uh, I walked
0: up there, and he says, boy, he said, I, I know what you think of me now. And I said, what do you mean? He said, look, that hog gutted one of my dogs. You didn't shoot him. He said, that hog nutted one of my dogs. You didn't shoot him. That hog cut me. And you didn't shoot him. He said, but he cut that blue boy dog, and you shot him quick. I said, Jerome, I said, good hunting partners are dime a dozen. Good hunting dogs hard to find.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one of the Man. best things like, about hunting with a dog is if I'm hunting with a gun and I get tired, I'm finished, I just go home. Hunting with a dog you don't have that option. No, that's right. We are there from start to finish, and we don't even decide when the finish is.
0: Sure,
1: sure. that's right. That's I, right. I that ties into a podcast we just dropped this week called uh, "Sacred Pursuit," where we talked about fair chase. Uh-huh. Well, it wasn't this week; it was a couple weeks ago. But uh, with TL Jones, we talked about people that want to say that that hunt them with dogs isn't fair chase. It's, it's like the fairest chase there
2: is. It's nature. That's We're right. just standing behind nature a little bit.
1: Yep. Yep. Sure. But guys, we better wrap this one up. Man, it's been a great conversation. It's been awesome. Yeah, we could I go. just kind of push the record button and let you guys talk. Yeah,
2: we could go for hours, I'm
1: sure. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, I'm absolutely.
0: Sure. You know. Absolutely. But uh, we, uh, we appreciate it. I do. Uh, Chris, appreciate you allowing me to come you on the podcast with you. And- and uh, hopefully I didn't get you too deep in the weeds with some of your listeners
1: there. But, uh. No, <laughs> not at all. These guys are all hunters. We'll probably, you know, it, it is what it is. It's real life, and we tell the truth on this podcast. So, yeah. so for sure. Yeah, Ed, what you got planned? What's going on at Tuskers? Oh, we're going to sit here for
2: a couple more days and go home and rest for a couple weeks. <laughs> Been out here all week. Yeah. Everybody needs to check it out next year. Like I, I always tell people, I mean, I told you, Chris, like, even if you're not a hog dog guy, if you're a dog hunter, oh, yeah, you come to Earl's, you are going to have a fun time. It doesn't matter if you're a cow hunter, sure, bigler, absolutely, squirrel
1: hunter. uh, Well, dog people just like to get together, you know, and yeah, I
2: mean, we we have fun, we tell, uh, and it's all the same, Mm. you know, I mean, uh, we're all in the same boat, squirrel hunter, hog hunter, don't matter.
0: Well, anybody that is a dog person that enjoys the dog hunting sports—I don't care if you're a, a duck hunter—you—you've got to appreciate the work ethic and the training and the effort that these men have put in and women have put into their dogs and the dogs themselves. So, I mean, bet.
2: what I always say is, like, okay, so I'm a hog hunter. I run the squirrel dogs a little bit. I don't care about hog. Like, I'm after superb dogs. I just happen to judge my dogs off of a hog because i think it's a really good uh for for where i live and what i've got to judge my dogs against i think a hog is the best thing to judge them against
1: what does a hog offer you oh well i guess we're not going to cut this off we're going to keep rolling so what do you judge because that's too good of a question leave it laying what do you what does a hog offer you to be able to judge the quality of your dog first and foremost a hog offers me the, the the opportunity to
2: judge my dog on drive, mm-hmm. their their heart, their gameness, how willing they are to stick with something that's hard for a long time. A squir- to me, a squirrel can't offer that. A rabbit can't offer that. A bear, or mountain lion, might could offer that probably but but where i live geographically i don't have bear Mm -hmm. and lion in a population good enough for me to regularly go out and judge my dogs against that but that's what i'm after i'm not after a hog i'm after superb dogs. i think
0: i think what has happened though a hog or swine is is highly intelligent and we have not only developed our dogs, but we've actually developed the hogs oh, yeah. to be a greater challenge. Oh yeah. And so mm-hmm. I tell people they can run like a deer,
2: yeah.
0: Climb like a mountain goat, fight like a grizzly bear. What's there not to love in that?
2: Yeah, I yeah. mean the the hogs that me and you chase today are not the same no, hogs that my grandpa right. chased in 1960. Right. They're a totally different mm-hmm. species.
0: And we've done that to them by. Uh, not so natural selection yeah you know uh the hunting sport has driven the species to be what they are today
2: but you but you know what i mean like so so i'm vice president of the oklahoma dog association association so i go to a lot of different dog hunting events be it bird dogs squirrel dogs rabbit dogs hog dogs coon dogs box dogs and the 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 underlying factor in all those, all the, all, in all those dog sports, it's not really about the game. Like I, it's, it's not really about the it's, rabbit.
1: It's not about killing the. the no, game.
2: it's it's about superb dog. It's about dogs that can do a job really well. Mm-hmm. So we're all just after superb dogs. Yeah. We just measure them against different game. Right. So if hog hunting becomes illegal in the next ten years. Am I not going to have any dogs? Hell, yeah, I'm going to have dogs. I'm just going to find a different game to measure those dogs against because sure. the hog means nothing to me. I mean, yeah. I eat them, but I don't give a shit about a hog. Right.
0: Hey, Chris, if you don't mind, I'm going to plug this just a little bit. I wrote a poem, and uh, you wouldn't think of an old guy like me to write poetry, but I did write a poem. I'm gonna hear. read it. And I think it, it encompasses a lot about what we've been talking about. Uh, yeah, i called it old blue imagine that uh,
1: <laughs> he might like that dog a little bit. <laughs> he might, he, might. He, hey. sh- he left his buddy bleeding out on the side of the mountain to shoot a hog yeah right, right like to save blue.
0: the dog no doubt i could tell a few more along that line too but uh, it goes up like this the last of the kids had left the farm there was an echo in the house and a pretty lonely barn varmints had gotten into the chickens eggs they were a few the wife sang hymns from a lonely window view That ornery longhorn bull had torn through the fence and left for the other side. The neighbor's calves will now be sold for bucking stock, both far and wide. Wild hogs have come up out of the river bottoms looking for food along the way. They gobbled up my corn crop and left only divots where there should be hay. Farming profits were down and laborers were few. Chores were piling up. What's an old cowpoke to do? What I needed was help for very little pay. Maybe a dog would work if I could just get him to stay. When asking around at the local feed store, a man's name came up that raised dogs of legend and lore. Cur dogs are the breeding, only the bloodline man knew. There were rumors of wolves, hounds, bulldogs, and maybe a bird dog or two. He sold his dogs to rodeo stock contractors, farmers, and ranchers alike. He sold them for hog dogs, coon dogs. Yes, these dogs were bred for grit, all right. Leaving the co-op with fresh directions on my mind, thoughts danced in my head of the perfect dog that I would find the stories were mingled with expectations and popping of gravel far behind the road was full of cattle guards mud holes switchbacks and low water gaps now to meet this fiery eyed man dressed in cowboy hat boots wild rag and chaps instead I found him dressed in overalls all bent and gray and old all the dogs sounded the alarm there were even more than I was told the dogs were black white red yellow brindle and blue they had eyes of brown white blue green and amber too some were bob-tailed, some were long, some were fine-made, some were strong. But for all their differences, whatever they may be, all the dogs had an appearance of similarity. The old man had more passion and knowledge about dogs than any 50 men would. The solution to my problem ended up costing more than a springing heifer should. I was lucky he had just gotten him back because twice he had sold, the dog worked himself out of a job or so he was told. Tied all alone out back at the end of a trail stood a dog with two glass eyes and a half-length tail. As for colors, he had more than a few. Blue, black spots, brown, brindle, and white with more than a scar or two. Isolated and lonely, I knew Blue would be his name. When unleashed, I called and he immediately came. But blast his mottled hide, he sank his teeth into my backside. He tore my pants like a flower sack. I guess it doesn't pay to turn your back on old Blue. I went hunting and took old Blue just to see what he would do. He rounded up a wild pig, as mean as Blue and twice as big. Well, the boar he ran down was a razorback with teeth so long that they curled back. They flattened 50 yards of brush, but Blue had caught that old cuss. I killed that boar with a K-bar knife. That dog was earning his keep, you can bet your life. Blue treated every coon for miles around. Every night the hollows echoed that beautiful sound. He went, we went together the cattle, but there were nowhere to be found. No problem for Blue, he just tracked them down. That longhorn bull thought he wanted to fight. He hooked at Blue and spun and kicked with all his might. Blue bit that bull from head to tail. He sent him home with the other cows as well. The fences are now mended. The hog trouble is now ended. Chickens are safe and eggs are plenty. If that egg-sucking dog will leave you any. Corn is harvested, <laughs> haze in the shed. My wife says Blue's color is actually a shade of red. But <laughs> That's anyway.
2: great, man. That was awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, Plumber, plumbers like me, when it comes to written word, he doesn't uh, hesitate to get pretty long with it. <laughs> yeah, well, it is <laughs> a lengthy poem. It is. Right, it's a good, it's, it's good, worth though. every bit of it. It's but good. you know, I tried
0: to really encompass a storyline in it that could be a little humorous, but yet have a lot of facts in it. You know, oh, there's a lot. Just, of, it's lot true. Going true. On it. It's yeah. true. Yeah. Yeah. And so, anyway,
1: well, I appreciate you sharing that, man. Thank you so much
0: for allowing hey. me to.
2: Yeah. And uh, y'all ought to. Uh, keep your eyes out for a plumber's book that's coming out before too long
0: well i i, I will be with the great ed barnes here publishing a book so you know kind of look for it maybe it'll Welcome have it'll have some that. stories of uh legend and lore <laughs>
2: <laughs> and some knowledge uh
0: yeah well, you know we'll, we'll try to encompass you know a little bit about hunting in the catahoula breed but
1: you bet but anyway well i appreciate it and uh yeah, we're live from Uncle Earl's.
2: Great time.
1: Yeah, check out Tusker's Magazine, where they find that at, Ed. Tuskersmagazine.com. Tuskersmagazine.com. We've actually given away a couple of your your books. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, on our Patreon drawings, we've sent those out. Good deal. And uh, uh, what's the name of that thing? In
2: Pursuit of Hog Dogs. By... Ed Barnes. Ed Barnes. The one and
1: only Ed Barnes. I'm in pursuit
2: of hog dogs. I'm not sure I've quite found them yet, but I'm going to keep going my (laughs) whole life.
1: It's a great book. It should be on everybody's shelf. If you collect collect dog books, you should have in pursuit of hog dogs. So it's got your whole life story in there pretty much. Most
2: a lot of it anyway. Today, I'm working on episode two.
1: There you go. There you the go.
0: evolution of Ed Bones. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Still chasing hard bones. Uh, well, I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Hounds and NXP podcast live from Uncle Earl's. We'll see you next year. You bet. We'll be here next year. Until next year, this is Fair Chase. Good hot Boom.